There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was a day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of council, council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let me just pray for the children as they walk out and pray for Rob as well as he speaks to us. Father, we do pray um, that uh, the children will learn the Easter message, not only intellectually, but it will penetrate through their hearts. We pray for Rob as he speaks to us. We pray for us as we listen. Give us, Lord, humble hearts to hear. Amen. Hello, great to see you all. Uh, Thanks for joining us on this Easter Sunday. Um, I know there will be some people who are visitors. Um, it was great to see you here. My name's Rob. Um, I'm the leader of the church. Um, so let, let me have my welcome to you. Um, <clears throat> you need your Bibles, uh, so, so please do keep them open in front of you, uh, because we'll be referring to those, uh, that chapter, really, those, those verses that we just read. Um, so if you can keep them, that open in front of you, that would be great. I say that because I've turned my Bible to something else, but there we go. I, I love um, this time of year. I don't know if you do. Does everyone love this time of year? Yeah. What do we love about this time of year? Life. And, and life in the, in the context of all the, the, the not life that we've been through in winter, right? Now, everything is suddenly bursting into life. There's new birth. Um, and actually, if you think about it, lots of the, the things that come, come propping up were, were already there. So the daffodils, they're there underneath the, the soil. Um, they might as well be dead. Because we can't see them and we can't see what's going on. 
and then they burst back into full colour and bloom. And we, we went walking in Bellas Woods um, just the other day, and it's wonderful, isn't it, just to see everything colour again, life. The garden, usually the garden, we don't particularly like it, do we? It's that annoying piece of land that we have to cultivate, apart from Sam, he loves being outdoors, but you know, we have to cut the lawn, but at this time of year, it's delightful, isn't it? Everyone wants to sit out in their gardens. Well, death bursting into life, or something that was dead, bursting into life, is, is, is fitting, isn't it, for Easter? Um, so what I want is for us to think, this time of year, when we see that taking place, that is a picture of Jesus' lifeless body being alive again. That is a miracle. That is amazing. We should never lose the excitement of that, um, even as Christians. If you're here for the first time, it's great that you joined us. And what I thought we could do, actually, is just walk through uh, Mark's account of the resurrection. And I hope this is helpful to you, particularly if you're looking in thinking, yeah, it sounds all right, doesn't it? But, no, it's all a load of fairies' tales, isn't it? It's all a load of made-up stuff that people have just thought up. Um, to, to sort of feel good about themselves. Well, let's have a look and see whether Mark, the person who wrote this gospel, is helping us um, to think about the resurrection for ourselves. Don't write it off just because it doesn't usually happen. If there is a God who is all-powerful, all-sovereign, can do all things, and he created this world and all the laws of nature, then surely he can reverse them. Um, and he did that in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, let's look at... Um, First of all, three things to help you to see that the resurrection happened. Um, they'll appear on the screen. First one is three women. I don't know if you noticed in that reading, the first verse we're introduced pretty much for the first time to these three women. And what we told about them in that verse, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. We're told their names, we're told who they are, who their children are. There's three women, Mary, Mary, and Salome. You notice that the names come up again, <laughs> just to identify them. Verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph. I don't know what Salome was doing at that point, but she's, she's probably sleeping. I don't know. Verse 47. Then if you look at, uh, with me at verse 1 of chapter 16, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome. So we're introduced to these three, this group of three women. And, and they're introduced at this point because they have got a very important job to do. What's their important job? To see. To see what? To see three things. Uh, what do they see in verse 40? Looking on from a distance, what are they looking on at? No. What are they looking on at in verse 47? 40. Jesus being crucified and being executed on a cross. They're looking on from a distance as Jesus dies. What are they looking um, at in verse 47? Which tomb? The, the tomb where he was laid. Um, so they're told, they're, we're told that they saw where he was laid. And then you get in verse um, uh, 8, sorry, verse 7, uh, when the angel uh, speaks to them, says, go, sorry, verse 6, um, at the end of verse 6, see the place 
where they laid him. So this group of women, three women, Salome missed out on the middle part. But doesn't that show you, by the way, that the Bible is true? Because it could have just said, oh yes, Salome was there. She wasn't. She was there at the start and she was there when she saw the empty tomb. And and, And the other two women were there for all three things. And these three women are the eyewitnesses of these three things. That Jesus hung and died on the cross. That he did die. He was dead. That he was placed in that tomb, and we'll get to why that's important in a minute, and that he was not in the tomb. His body was not there. Okay, whatever you make of the rest of it, those women are saying, saying we saw the, the tomb where Jesus' body was laid, because we know it's the tomb where Jesus' body was laid. It was empty. Whatever you make of the rest of it, and the explanation for that, you have to see that that's what these women are doing in this passage. They're seeing saw all those things and they can give account for it. Um, There's a couple of other theories, by the way, about what happened to Jesus and his body. Um, Some people would like to suggest that it wasn't really Jesus on the cross. A major world religion is suggesting that it wasn't Jesus on the cross, that God provided some lookalike to stand in for Jesus and it fooled everyone. It does make God out to be a bit deceptive. But at the same time, these women, what we told about them in verse 40, uh, verse 41, when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So they've been with Jesus. It's not just anyone. They followed him. They've been with him. They've seen him. They've seen how he ministered. They ministered to him. He was Jesus. It was Jesus on the cross. There's another theory. Another theory is that the women got the wrong tomb. Yeah? Because that's why the tomb's empty. Jesus' dead body is over there somewhere. They just oh, lost directions and they got to the, another tomb. And they, of course, that one's empty. And then they imagined that he was resurrected. But that's put to bed by this, isn't it? Because they saw the tomb where they laid him. Saw Jesus' body on the cross. Saw the tomb where they laid him. Um. There's one other theory, and it's that Jesus was only mostly dead. So the swoon theory is that he sort of swooned, he, he, he revived, he wasn't really dead. Actually, no one at the time was saying that at all. They might have disputed the resurrection, but no one at the time was saying that Jesus of Nazareth had been killed. He was dead. We'll look at this a bit in the next uh, three people we meet in this passage. But um, just to start off with, these women are there and they see Jesus on the cross. They see what happened that day. They are giving testimony to this. Next people, three witnesses. Let's have a look down with me at verse 42 um, to 46. And pick out the three people as we go. When evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should already have died, and summoning the centurion, which is the guard who put him to death, he asked him whether he was already dead. So we get this interchange. Three people... Joseph asking Pilate, Pilate, mm, oh, okay, I'll ask the centurion. 
And then it goes back from the centurion to Pilate to Joseph. What does the centurion said say? In verse 45, when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. What did Joseph ask for just before? Verse 43, he asked for the body of Jesus. And now we're told at this point, he was handed a corpse. So very cleverly, with with the use of language here, Mark is saying three people are inquiring as to whether Jesus is dead. Joseph, Pilate, most powerful man there, the centurion who was closest to where he died, all inquiring, is he dead? Yes, he's dead. Okay, he's dead. He's dead. And then what's handed over is a dead body, a corpse. Jesus was definitely dead. No one at the time was denying that or attesting that. It's only recently that people have thought, well, it would be a bit more convenient to say that he was mostly dead and that he managed to somehow revive himself. So it's Jesus' dead body. He is dead, clearly. And three, another three. Uh, we get another three in this passage three days later. Um, so 16 verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, because the Sabbath was the Saturday, Jesus was killed on, on the Friday morning, put to death, placed in the tomb, lifeless body, at the Sabbath, which was a Saturday. And when the Sabbath had passed, so early morning on the Sunday, that's why we celebrate Easter on the Sunday, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go up and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Sorry, there wasn't three theories, there's four. The fourth theory about Jesus' resurrection is that the women wanted to believe that he'd risen from the dead. So they just kind of halluc- group hallucination. All three of them hallucinated at the same time, the same thing, which is what they wanted to believe, which was that Jesus was alive again. But the Bible tells us the women were not expecting Jesus to rise again. They were not even thinking that was even possible. Why? Because we're told that in the morning they went and they spent a lot of their hard-earned money on spices, bought all this expensive stuff to anoint a dead body. That's what they're expecting to go and do. They're not doing that for show. Um, What are they talking about on the way to the tomb? They're talking about the fact that they won't be able to get access to the tomb. So that's what they're expecting. Not much. All they're thinking is, we're going to anoint a dead body. So what is this theory about imagining or believing this to be true and then therefore hallucinating it? It just wasn't the case. The women weren't expecting it. So now, the resurrection, we see that the resurrection happened. And we're told in verse 4, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man, probably an angel, sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Didn't see that one before, but there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So we've had three women, three witnesses, Joseph, Pilate, the soldier. And three days later, the 
we've seen that the resurrection really did happen. It's recorded for us in this way. With the, the details <laughs> that we can tell are not, uh, are not inserted or, or made to be different from what they were to make it sound more credible. But that is exactly what happened. Jesus has risen. The tomb was empty. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now, there's lots of other accounts um, in other Gospels of Jesus appearing to the disciples, and, um, and not just one or two, but all of them. And all of them went to their deaths, saying that Jesus is alive. You know, you'd go to your death for something that was convenient, that got you further in life. You wouldn't go to your death for that. You'd, you'd lie about something that was convenient and got you further in life, but you certainly wouldn't die for it. Because that's not very convenient, is it? If you had a lie that you were propagating, you wouldn't go to your death for it. In the last moment, one of those 12 would have said, no, actually, it's all, it's all a lie. I'm just going to save my skin. Don't care about the others. So all of these people saw that Jesus was alive. He appeared to a great crowd on the side, and then he ascended back up into heaven. Now, the thing is, I could convince you from this, I could try to convince you from this that the resurrection happened. That would have some merit, you knowing that the resurrection happened. I don't think it would have that much merit, to be honest. I think what matters, what what would have merit is me convincing you that it matters. What if it happened? Why does it matter? Does it matter? Are we just sort of chatting about stuff that doesn't matter at all? And we're just wasting our time. Why does it matter? Well, I want to give you three reasons. And I think the Bible gives us three reasons for why the resurrection matters. Um, the first one is Peter. Um, it's good news for Peter. It's comfort for a man who had failed Jesus and needed the grace of God again and again and again. Because he will fail Jesus, however much he tries to follow him. Um, it's bad news for Jesus' enemies. And the third one we'll get to in a moment, because I've forgotten what it is. Let me have a look. It's the basis for his call. Um, so we'll look at that in a moment. Three reasons why it matters. First of all, then Peter. Mark wants us to see that Jesus' resurrection was to be of immense comfort to Peter. Who was Peter? He was the disciple who had made grand claims about following Jesus and never, ever failing Jesus. I will never deny you. Even if all fall away, I won't deny you, Jesus. And in the very next moment, he did. Three times. And it's of great comfort that Jesus has risen from the dead. Because he goes to Peter and he says, I love you, Peter. You're mine. Yes, you've mucked up, but you're still mine. And that is immense comfort for Christians. Jesus' resurrection is comfort uh, for Peter. Um, that's why we have those words, and I'll still go, I'll keep banging on about them. Uh, but it says, um, go tell his disciples and Peter, in verse 7. He's singled out because the angel, it's the messenger of the Lord, is saying, I want Peter to know this. He's still my disciple. He's still my follower. He's got, he needs me. <laughs> I've died to save him. He is one of my children. I'll never let him go. That's a wonderful comfort, isn't it? 
But in the same measure as the resurrection is a comfort for Peter's, it should also be a concern to Jesus' enemies. In the same measure is a comfort to people like Peter. It should be a concern to Jesus' enemies. Um, I'm just going to read to you one verse from Hebrews. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he had perfected for all time those who were being sanctified. Why should Jesus' resurrection be of concern, of great concern, of grave concern to Jesus' enemies? Because he's Lord over all. And the ones who put him on the cross and the ones who were laughing at him on the cross are going to be silenced. They're going to bow the knee. Not now, when Jesus returns. And before Jesus has said, when, he, when the um, Pharisees, or the chief priests were saying, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? He said, I am. And you will see him coming, seated on the clouds, coming on the clouds of heaven. It is a fearful thing that Jesus is coming back for those who are, who are opposed to him. For those who have not made, uh, not come into a relationship with him in the right way. Who are still trusting in their own righteousness to make them good enough for him. Who haven't accepted his gift of salvation. Um, there's a picture of a footstool. I don't know if you, ever, if you know. Um, apparently in um, sort of ancient times when they had these... Um, campaigns, these wars, these battles, what they do is they'd round up the, the enemies and they would create this plinth for the, for the foot of the king. It's a picture, isn't it, of him subjugating his enemies. They, they were fierce, they were bragging whilst he was on the cross and yet he has conquered them and when he returns they will, they will not be able to stand. Before him. So I, I want us to see that although resurrection is of great comfort to Christians, it is of great concern to people who don't know Jesus, who aren't friends with him. And that day is coming when he will return. Um, it also makes sense of Jesus' call. Um, in Mark's Gospel, you get a really important verse. Um, it comes right after another really important verse in chapter 8. Uh, Jesus says, who do you say I am, Peter, uh, or to the disciples? And Peter says, you are the Christ. Um, and Jesus then immediately says that he will suffer and die. And then he says, this is what it means to follow him. If anyone would come after me, follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If we just had that verse... And Jesus was saying to you today, come and follow me. Would you? Would you follow him? It's, he's asking a lot. <laughs> and, and he's saying, deny yourself. Give up this life. Not necessarily commit suicide or anything like that, but give up this life. Give up things in this life and follow me. And if it was just that, it would be 
ridiculous, wouldn't it? But it's not that because it's that and the resurrection. Jesus rose from the grave. He is alive today. He lives forever. And all those who he says this to and who will follow him will have eternal life with him. So it makes every sense then, doesn't it? That if following Jesus, even if it means denying ourselves something or giving up something that we put our trust in or hope in in this life, if the, the thing that he can lead us to and if what we have with him is eternal life, it makes every sense, doesn't it? I thought of it this way, that following Jesus or taking up this offer of Jesus, um, yes, it is what he's talking about is going to be the, the most difficult thing you've ever had to do ongoing in your life, yeah? Because following him will involve being rejected, perhaps, by your family and friends. I mean, I think your family and friends will um, lose their admiration for you. They will stop thinking, I want to be like that person. And that will hurt, because we like people admiring us, don't we? They'll stop thinking, oh, I want to I, I earn as much as Rob's earning. I, I, I want to do what Rob's doing. They don't, they don't think that, by the way. Um, you know, it will mean, maybe, choosing to stay in a place which is less desirable, but where there's opportunities for the gospel and telling people about Jesus. In some parts of the world, it will mean actual physical suffering and potentially death. And so what Jesus is calling us to here is an ongoing the most difficult thing he could ever call us to do, in a way. But in another sense, it is the easiest decision you will ever have to make. Why? Because it makes sense. Jesus said these words following that. He said, uh, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? And what can a man give in exchange for his soul? The question you've got to go away thinking about is, what about my soul? Where am I safe in eternity? On my own, doing my own thing? That's going to lead to nothing. That's going to lead to death. And I've got no answer for death. But Jesus does. He's the one who conquered death. He's the one who lives forever. And he calls us to follow him. And it makes every sense, doesn't it, then? In one sense, it's going to be the most difficult journey, <laughs> difficult life that you could ever choose for yourself or he could ever give you. And yet, on the other side of things, it will be the easiest decision because it makes sense. He's offering eternity with him. And that's something you can't afford and I can't afford. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you that you raised him to life. Thank you that he did lay down his life for sinners like us. And having laid down his life and laid dead in the tomb, lifeless, you raised him to new life, never to die again. And thank you so much for inviting us to be part of that. Who are we? And yet you invite us to be part of what you have achieved in his death and in his resurrection.
We pray that we would see that as of eternal value, eternal worth, far, far greater than anything we could waste our time with in this life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, If you'd like to chat some more about this, this doesn't have to be a one-way thing, a monologue. I know some people think church is a bit of a monologue. You just sit there and then you say, yeah, all right, and then we go away. Uh, It doesn't have to be a monologue. It can be a conversation. Um, A few ways that could be possible. Um, A book um, is called, Are You 100% Sure You Want to Be an Agnostic? Agnostic just means someone who has decided that we can't be sure about these things. Um, And that's a play on, are you 100% sure you want to be Um, someone who isn't 100% sure? Um, so take that book and we can chat about that and there's also a little uh, flyer which is three days that shook the earth and that's just a simple gospel explanation of the three days uh, that we've just described Um, but don't let it stop here you don't have to just go away and just get back to your day job and do the normal stuff and then come come back next week and hear it again you you could chat to someone about it and that would be a great thing to do Um, Any of the people here who come regularly will be more than happy to talk to you about this. The resurrection happened. We've seen that. Three women, three witnesses, three days later. The resurrection matters. For people like Peter, for his enemies, when he returns, and as the basis for his call, come and follow me.